Good morning. I'm uh, Wade. I'm one of the pastors here. If you'll turn with me to your bulletins or your Bibles, today's passage is from John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verses 6 through 16. We're going through the Gospel of John right now. And uh, last week we began with uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. And as we continue on uh, this week and next week and the week after, we'll look at what Jesus' prayer for his people, what he prays for himself, when he prays for his people, the church. So let's read now the word of God. John chapter 17, verse 16, 6 through 16. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is the word of God. So, like I said earlier, last week we began Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And the main points I tried to communicate last week were, number one, that Jesus' desire was to be glorified so that he could give glory to the Father. And number two, that our eternal life is grounded in the glory of the triune God. That our salvation, our redemption, is not primarily because God loves us, but because God loves himself. This is what our eternal life is grounded in. And I ended the message with these words from Isaiah 43, which are also uh, the verses from our call to worship. And again, this is what it says. This is the Lord speaking. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth and everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Now, who is God talking about in this passage? God is talking about you and me. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a son and you are a daughter who has been called by his name and you were created for his glory. So your purpose in life is to, was to glorify God, is to glorify God. Your purpose in life is to glorify God. That means the way that you raise your children, the way that you date, the way that you spend your money, the way that you spend your time, your decision to live in a certain neighborhood, the people that you choose to associate with, all these things are to be done in a way that shows who Jesus is and what God is really like. And how do we glorify God with our lives? We do it in the context of the church. 
as we look at this passage, strictly speaking, Jesus is praying for his 11 disciples. It's 12 minus Judas. But they were just the beginning of this ongoing movement that Jesus began. So this prayer is also for us. It's for Indelible Grace Church. And as we look at it, we should look at this prayer as one that's not for us as individuals, but as a church. And we'll see later as we as we look at uh, the later in this in this message, and as we look at uh, the passage in next week's message and the following uh, week, we'll see that Jesus is praying for for the entire church. He's praying for his people in the context of community. And one of the primary reasons that Jesus came to the earth was to establish the church. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he calls you to be a part of his church. The church exists for the glory of God. The church exists for the glory of God. And what this means is that the most important institution in the world, in all of history, is not governments or movements. The church is the most important institution in the entire world because it's in the church and through the church that God makes his glory known as he's revealed in Jesus Christ. And only the church, only the church can bear witness to who God is as he's revealed in the scriptures. Jesus did not die for governments. Jesus did not die for movements. Jesus died for his bride, the church. And our little church right here, Indelible Grace Church, we are a part of the universal church. And if you are a part of IGC, then if you're a member of IGC, I want you to especially listen closely to the words of Jesus today. So in our time together, I want us to consider uh, what Jesus prayed for us. And how we're to respond. So we have two points, if you look in your bulletin. Um, Two points. Number one, the mission of the church. And number two, the provision for the church. The mission that we're given as disciples of Jesus and what the Lord provides as we carry out the mission. So our first point is this. I want to begin our point with uh, this this quote from Paul Tripp. This is what he writes. Your life is bigger than a good job or an understanding spouse and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. You and I were placed on this earth for a purpose, and it's way bigger than most of the things that we give our time and energy to. So earlier in John 17, if you remember from last week, Jesus says that we have eternal life. This is not just a life that's ongoing. It's not just everlasting life, but this is a life that is grounded in the eternal triune God who has existed before history ever began. From all of eternity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were in this loving community relationship, and we find our life, our existence in that triune relationship. And it means that our understanding of everything is completely altered, if we really believe it. 
the design of our lives, the existence of all of creation, the movements of history, the purpose of everything that you see going on, whether they be social justice movements or things happening in the church or things happening in governments, wars and droughts and all calamity. We look at these things in the context of what God is doing in eternity. And this is eternal life. And there's something we're expected to do with this eternal life. Notice that Jesus says in this passage that we are not taken out of the world. Verse 15, he emphasizes this. He, he tells the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Years ago, Howard Stern, he, he had a guest on his radio show, and they were talking about religion. And, and he, Howard Stern said this. He said that if Christians really believed what they said, what they, what they confessed— that they really do go to heaven when they die, then Christians should just kill themselves now. Because why in the world would you want to stay in this, in this world if you know that heaven is so much better? This is Howard Stern's criticism of you. Now, what would Jesus say about that comment? Jesus says in this passage that he left us here to bear witness to the glory of the Father and the Son. That means that the, the reason why that we weren't just carried away as soon as we confessed that Jesus is Lord, the reason why we weren't just carried away is because we are the means by which the glory of God is made known to the world. We are the reason, or we are the purpose, and we are the, the, the means by which the glory of God is made known to our neighbors and our family and our community. So as Jesus followers, we do not exist unto ourselves or to be a blessing to the world. So look at verse 10. Jesus says, I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. It's our job to show the world the beauty and the glory and the goodness of Jesus. And last week we talked about what it means to glorify him. What does it mean to glorify Jesus? We glorify the Lord when we proclaim the truth of who he is and our lives show that we really believe it. So let me say that again. This is how we glorify the Lord. If you've ever wondered, how am I supposed to glorify Jesus? Because it seems like such a, uh, it's it's just like, how do I do it? We glorify Jesus. Jesus by proclaiming the truth of who he is and by our lives showing that we really believe it. So, if we say that God is faithful, how then shall we live? If we say that the Lord is faithful, that means that we trust him with our decisions, even if the outcome is uncertain. Have you ever been in a place where you're just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know who I'm supposed to see. I don't know who who I'm supposed to commit my time to. We don't know how things are going to turn out. But if we believe that God is faithful, then we can say, God, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe your promises. And therefore, I will trust you with this, this decision, even if it's inconvenient, even if it doesn't seem to make sense, even if the outcome is uncertain, because I believe in you. If we say that the Lord is a provider... How then shall we live? 
If we say that he's a provider, it means that we're generous with our resources because we know that the Lord will always give to us what we need. If we say that he's holy, that means that we can live lives of integrity and holiness because this reflects who God is. If we say that God is sovereign, that means that we don't grumble and complain about the circumstances of our lives. Did you know that the way that you grumble and complain says something about the God that you worship? If we say that God is good, then we reflect that goodness in our kindness and our, and our compassion for others. So this is how we glorify God. In both word and deed, the truth must be proclaimed and the truth must be experienced and to the world. So let's continue on. Jesus, he speaks of what our lives will look like as we carry out the mission of the church. Verse 6, this is what he says. Yours they were. Jesus is saying to the Father, they belong to you, God. They belong to you. In verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They are not of the world. So Jesus says, I'm going to leave you guys here, but you are to be distinct from the world. Hello? Sorry. Jesus leaves us in the world, but we're to be distinct from it. So that means that we are residents of this world, but we are not citizens of it. We are residents of planet Earth, but we are not citizens of this world. And this is a whole another series in itself, and it's going to be difficult to answer this question. How, how do I be, how am I supposed to be a citizen uh, how, how am I supposed to be a resident of this planet Earth, but how can I faithfully live as a citizen of another world? And it's going to be difficult to answer this question in, in a short time frame because there are so many things to consider. How am I to engage culture? How am I to participate in conflicts or disagreements about politics? How am I to be a good neighbor? This is a huge question that we should all think about. Um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to point you to two verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is what he writes. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the, on the day of visitation. So in short, in order to be a resident of this world, a good resident, but yet a citizen of another world, it means that we're to find our pleasures in something beyond food and drink and sex and all the other things that our neighbors work so hard to attain. Number two, we're to live lives of integrity and love and serve everyone in the communities that God has put us in. So this means that we're to be more than just good people. There needs to be something inexplicable about our lives, something that can't be explained by our political preferences or our families of origin or our career ambitions. 
the musician Charlie Peacock, he, he puts it this way in his song Strange Language. You might want an argument that no one can refute or some mathematical formula that shows its absolutes. You might demand a miracle as some kind of proof, but you won't find a holy grail that no one can dispute. It's a strange, strange language, and it's haunted by an even, even stranger truth. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should be speaking a strange language that's haunted by an even stranger truth. You and I bear witness by living in light of a reality that is truer than what we see here with our eyes. And as followers of Jesus, there should be something compelling about our lives and something compelling about our church because we speak this strange language that testifies of a stranger truth. Now, if you are a member of this church, uh, you might remember the vision of our church. It's to follow Jesus and to help others follow him. And how are we to do that? This is our mission. We are to bear witness to the glory of the triune, triune God, and that means that you do it one-on-one in groups as a large church. We can testify to who Christ is. And when we do that, God will use that to draw people to himself. So this is the mission that we're given as believers in Jesus, as people who have eternal life. The second point, the provision that God gives us. The provision for the church. So God says, I'm going to give you this huge task of bearing witness to my glory. I'm going to tell you, my, my, my charge to you, church, is to do all these things with all your life. For the rest of your life, you're to do this. Now, how are we to do it? God won't ever call us to do something that he won't equip us to do. Equip us for. He gives us a whole lot. He gives us so much. And I, would, I want to point out four things in particular in today's passage that he gives us. So the first is the word. The first thing that God gives us is the word. Verse, verses 8 and 9, he says this, Jesus says this, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. The word is the truth of who God is as spoken by God. Jesus doesn't just give us something to speculate about, but he gives us revelation. Not speculation, but revelation. And as a church at IGC, we, we always want to be faithful to what the word of God teaches. Even if it goes against popular opinion, even if it's something that we don't want to be true. Have you ever just read the Bible and said, oh man... I wish God didn't say that. I wish he didn't write this in his word. I think that all the time. Because so often, I don't want to believe what God has written in his word. But what are we called to do as believers? What are we called to do as servants? We're called to submit. There's so many times when you're you're not going to want to do what God tells you or asks you to do. And is it our job to find our way out of that, to find some excuse to not do it? That's our natural tendency. It's our inclination to say, I don't like what God is saying, so I'm not going to listen to it. So I'm going to ignore it. So I'm going to find a way to justify my own preferences. But that isn't the way that it works. 
So may we at IGC be like the good soil that Jesus speaks of in Luke 18, who, in hearing the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and we bear fruit with patience. Jesus speaks of people like you and me. May we be the good soil that the, that the seed is planted in, that the word is planted in. And may we be like the Bereans in Acts 17, who receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, daily, to see if the things the apostles taught were true. Are the things spoken from this pulpit accurate and faithful and true? It's your responsibility and duty as a church member to make sure that it is. The word of God is something sturdy, something solid for us to put our feet on. Psalm 119, it illuminates our path. It's a light unto our feet. The word of God tells us about the heart of God. It articulates what is true about him and his priorities. The word of God puts words to the truths that hold us together as a church. Without the word of God, all we're doing is we're guessing at what God wants. So how are we to live? According to his word. We listen to his word. We test it. We preach it. We live it. As a church, we don't have, we don't need the best production value. For those of you who are watching from your laptop, um, you'll see this is a very, uh, bare bones, Spartan setup that we have in this church. We don't need to have the best production value. We don't have to have charismatic leaders. I wish I were one, but I'm not. We don't even need a building to meet in. But we will shrivel up and die if we don't have the word of God. So this is what God gives us. He says, I'm going to give you, church, my word. The second thing that God gives us, unity. Verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In two weeks, I'm going to spend an entire sermon talking about unity, and this is a massively, incredibly, vitally important thing that we as a church are united Um so I'm not going to spend very much time on this point, um, but for now, I just want to tell you that our church needs unity now more than ever. We are 10 years old, and in our entire history as a church, we need unity more than ever. Because there is a threat to our community. There is a threat to our common unity. Just look at our current political environment or the responses to the pandemic or the wide range of opinions about a hundred different things. And we at IGC were all across the board on all of these things. And we should thank God for that. We should thank God that there are people on the other side in our church. We should thank God that there are people at, at IGC who disagree with us. Because we can disagree about a whole lot of things and still be united Listening to viewpoints of others is how we grow, and I'll talk about these things in two weeks. Um, but we really need to be careful to not let these things fracture our church. And our church is threatened by this fracture in real life. This is not a hypothetical thing. 
So I'm going to attempt to shed light on Jesus' idea of unity in two weeks. But for now, I just want to ask you, for those here and for those who are watching from home, I want to plead with you. If you are a member of IGC, you made a vow to care for the church. So I'm going to ask that you guys pray for the unity of the church and pray that IGC will be one. So God gives us his word. God gives us unity. Um, And two more things that I want to mention as we carry out his mission. God gives us his protection. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The work that we do as a church is dangerous because Satan hates what we're doing. This is who Jesus speaks of in verse 15, the evil one. And the world hates what we're doing. The gospel that we preach is offensive as it should be because it threatens the identity of anyone who will take it seriously. And this is why the world hates those who belong to Christ. And therefore, we should not be surprised by any opposition to the things that we do. As you try to live faithfully as a follower of Jesus, don't be surprised by opposition. And do you know what? That over the course of your life, as you try to live as a faithful follower of Jesus, you might be ostracized, you might be made fun of, you might lose your job. There might come a day in America when we will faith face real persecution as a church. And if that's the case, then so be it. That's fine. We don't have any promise of a comfortable life in the scriptures. Jesus gives us no promise that your life will be comfortable and easy. Jesus promises eternal life, but nowhere in the Bible are we told that our life and our ministry will be easy. Think about our our brothers and our sisters around the world. They are imprisoned, they are tortured, and killed every single day. It might be happening this very moment that one of our brothers and sisters is being tortured and killed for professing Christ. But they still do it. They still do it. They can do their work in confidence because they know that God is still with them. And here Jesus is is praying to the Father, Father, protect them from the evil one. Satan cannot ultimately destroy the church or the work of the church. And if this is true, then we can sing with Martin Luther. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. This is the evil one that Jesus speaks of. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. God will protect his church. God will protect you. And one more thing that Jesus prays for in this passage, what God gives to his people. Verse 13, God gives us his joy. Jesus gives us his joy. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It might be difficult to believe, 
but you can rejoice in this very moment. We can have a deep, lasting joy. We can be filled and overflowing with a deep and lasting joy that cannot be taken away by unemployment or conflict or illness or even a pandemic. Because what Jesus says is true and because his prayer will be answered by the Father, you can have an eternal joy that cannot ever be shaken. Because ultimately this joy is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Look at the verse more carefully in verse 13. Jesus says that he's coming to the Father. He's coming to the Father. And how is that going to work? The implication, and Jesus is aware of this, is very, very soon he will be tried, he will be uh, tortured, he will be put on the cross. He will soon die and he will soon return to the Father. And this is our hope for joy. Our hope is found in ultimately the gospel, the person of Jesus. And the gospel is that we've all tried to create a life apart from God. And this is called sin. And the consequence of trying to find life apart from the only true source of life is what? It's death. But God loved us so much. God loves the church. He loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we should have died on the cross. And then he rose again and he returned to the Father. Jesus has this in mind as he's praying to the Father. And there... Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father, always pleading and interceding on your behalf. And your joy is fulfilled when you trust Jesus, when you hear his word and you obey it. We have an eternal joy because we have eternal life. Do you have that joy? Do you believe the gospel? Jerry Bridges writes this, To be joyless is to dishonor God and to deny his love and his control over our lives. It is practical atheism to not have joy. To be joyful is to experience the power of the Holy Spirit within us and say to a watching world that our God reigns. So indelible Grace Church, may we say with everything that we do that our God reigns. Our God reigns over every circumstance of our life. Our God reigns over every situation in the world. Our God reigns over COVID-19. Church, our God reigns over the world. And may we carry out our mission with joy, knowing that the glory of Jesus is worth it. The glory of Jesus is worth it. Will you pray with me? Father, we are uh, humbled that our brother Jesus would pray for us. And I pray that you would answer his prayer for us, for the church, God. May you be glorified. I pray that if we don't glorify you, if we don't love you, if we don't love the world, if we don't make you known, uh, that you would just shut us down, that you would end what we're doing. Because that's the only thing that matters, God, that you get glory. So, God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit to carry out your will. And, God, do your work in the church. Be glorified in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.